Welcome to Nonprofit Thursdays, where we educate, elevate, engage, and encourage nonprofit organizations and the people who love them. Our topic is school as we know it is out, but fundraising is still in. And isn't that the truth? Welcome, my guest, John Campbell. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So truly, school as we know it is out. How are charter schools and private schools actually doing? Yeah, I think that that's a, a, a great point. And thank you, Gatsby, for having me. It's a it's an honor to be part of this um, conversation. You know, I think school is definitely out and a lot of parents have found themselves teaching their children at home and, um, and school budgets have been um, really attacked from across the country. Uh, in Georgia, that there's been 11% reduction in funding. Mm. In California, it's a 10% reduction in funding. And, you know, just recently, 44 private schools have announced that they were closing for good. And I think that doesn't even begin to tell the full story when you think about all of the additional costs that schools are having to face when it comes to technology, personal protective equipment, computers, even take-home kits, um, meals in some instances, you know, schools are providing. And I think that's really tough and, yeah. and, and they're needing to find new revenue sources. And so what I've been seeing is, and working with um, a lot of schools that are launching emergency response campaigns. And those campaigns are, are tied to really tackling those immediate needs. The difference is that th- those aren't long-term solutions, right? Donors will be fatigued at some point. And so we need to think about how do we make this sustainable and how do we take advantage of the opportunity to get what you need as school leaders, but also to build a sustainable um, fundraising program. Yes, all really, really excellent points. It hurts my heart to hear that schools who were providing uh, education and access to um, some students are shuttering. And uh, that's a sad state of affairs. But uh, one of the things that's part of this shakeout of a, uh, being in this upended uh, situation we're in with COVID and everything else. So it has been traditionally that schools have been able to fundraise because people have been able to go and see them in action and uh, donors could then be sufficiently convinced that the mission is being accomplished and then give. So what's happening now? Yeah, there's nothing more powerful than the relationship between a donor and a student. And that isn't happening in a virtual space as as we normally are used to. You know, we would bring donors into schools and there'd be these amazing interactions and conversations and an ability for schools to follow up. And what we're seeing is that either schools are stopping those tours because they're afraid um, or they can't bring people into the building and they don't know where to go. And so we've been working with a number of schools and education organizations, in fact, one organization here in DC that really does advocacy work for charters um, they've pivoted their monthly school tour uh, to a virtual distance learning kind of drop-in where they've been bringing funders and donors into these conversations. And I think what's really powerful about this is that you're getting to see firsthand instruction in a real meaningful way, kind of stripping the four walls down and you're not distracted by the cool amenities of a school, which definitely are awesome and needed, but you get to see the real um, power of the mission of a school. And so not only are you creating these really great experiences, but what we're seeing is that 
um, schools who have pivoted have started to see a dramatic increase in the number of people attending those school tours, which allows for additional follow-up and cultivation opportunities. In fact, that organization that I mentioned has seen, you know, a triple um, in attendance. So, you know, more than a hundred people attending from major funders nationally and also regionally who are eager to see how DC is raising money. And I think that this can work in other school districts across the country. That is really encouraging in so many ways. And, and your company, uh, Fund Ed Strategies, which you uh, are at the head of and doing so great in, in navigating this space, why did you choose the niche of uh, private and charter schools as a fundraising mechanism? Yeah, you know, education is um, extremely important to me. As somebody who grew up in a family of five children with a single mom uh, working as a server, you know, I think the the opportunity that education provided me um, is unparalleled. Although it took me 10 years to go from an associate's to a bachelor's to a master's, um, that really opened up doors. And, you know, today I have an MBA and I'm able to not only consult with schools on fundraising, but I'm able to run a business. And I think, to see that opportunity for um, charters or private schools or you know even traditional public schools, education is often um, the starting point to create opportunity, and and I'm so passionate about that. And additionally, I think that a lot of charters have decided to, in private schools, you know, have a need for fundraising, but might not have the experience or expertise. And so, after joining a charter school and working for one for several years, leading fundraising and advocacy um, and strategy work, that we saw that there was a niche that, you know, people were in these positions, they might have been teachers, they might have been school leaders, they're great at education, they're great at instruction, what they really don't understand is how to raise money. And so that's where I come in, I work with schools, our firm works with schools to, to build that capacity. So that way they can be the visionary leaders that they're, that they're supposed to be, and, and make sure that their schools and students are learning. And we come in to make sure that they have the resources to do that. First of all, I want to commend you on your perseverance on that 10-year stretch, that 10-year journey that you stayed the course no matter what. And uh, congratulations to you for doing that. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. And that's what it takes in fundraising. Uh, It really takes a lot of perseverance and the ability to change and pivot, as you have pointed out. I, I think a lot of people, when they think of school fundraising, especially private and charter schools, that they think of bake sales and popcorn sales and Katie did. I, that comes to mind for me. Uh, but it's really more than that. And that will never be enough. So can you speak to that a bit, John? Yeah, you know. The bake sale is obviously the most tangible form of fundraising. You're getting a good, it's a sale, it's a transaction, right? But it's not real fundraising and it doesn't generate enough money to actually change or you know impact what you're trying to do. But I think what's really interesting about bake sales and where schools can really lean in is to take the actual premise of a bake sale. The idea is that it's peer-to-peer fundraising. Parents and community leaders are going out and asking people to to support or buy something, they have these networks. So let's think about how schools can actually go about doing that. Um, and I think encouraging participation. There's a there's a school that um, I work with in DC and it's all centered on participation. They decided like the bake sale wasn't for them, which 
that's a good decision to make. And <laughs> they, they created this competition, a month long competition between parents and teachers. And the idea wasn't how much money we could raise. It was, let's get as many people to participate and whoever has the highest participation goal, there's students that would get some sort of prize, pizza parties or something along those lines. So not only what that did is it created a culture of philanthropy where students were pestering both their teachers and their parents to make contributions to the school. And at the end of a month, they raised $150,000 without even talking about actual dollar figures. And while it's not a bake sale, it's the idea that participation matters and this peer-to-peer -peer aspect of people asking people. I think schools can really lean into the idea of a bake sale without actually baking goods. Oh, that's a great point. And you know, one of our nonprofit gurus, Peter Drucker, has said, um, culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast. And I know that you are very interested in strategic planning for some of these schools so that they can make sure that they're on track on a roadmap. Did I make myself clear on that? I think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think for this, uh, and, and this, when I go to talk to schools and when I ask them what's, um, what's important to them, you know, the question that I ask is oftentimes, what change are you trying to see in your community, both in the short and long term? And I think that that starts to drive this culture of philanthropy conversation. And then when we think about digging in a little bit deeper, we start to get to the how and the what. And that's where we can start to build strategy and start to build these conversations. Um, and it also gives a glimpse into the case for support. Right? If you could talk about where you're trying to go. That's the case. That's how we get your community, your teachers, your parents, your alumni, your board members, the community leaders. You know, that's how they get invested in this work. And then you can build the strategy around that. But we really need to understand that messaging and that culture needs to be created. Um, and usually I start with participation. I mean, I think that that's the easiest way. Um, and it's also measurable, right? We want strategies that are measurable, we can implement, we can benchmark, but also have meaningful outcomes and meaningful impact. John, I'm sitting here thinking, he's so young, but he's so on top of it. This is really, really a great conversation that we're having. And I, I also want to know from your vantage point, how boards are operating within that sector of public, uh, not public, but private and charter schools and their importance. And what have you seen that other nonprofit organizations could learn from? Yeah, I think one thing that we're seeing with boards is this idea of um, relationships. And I think this is every board, right? Every board is designed to be ambassadors, right? They're designed to open up doors and they're designed to, to make financial contributions at whatever level that may personally mean to them. And unfortunately, the buck usually stops at one or two of those, and it's not really complete. And so what we're seeing in, with a school um, in Georgia is that uh, in the time of COVID, we're investing in relationships. We're investing in stewardship and cultivation. And we recently did a network mapping exercise with them where uh, they, all the board members filled out a commitment form and kind of this worksheet that we put together. And we built this beautiful visualization of their network and drew connections to funders that they didn't even know that they knew um, or had ideas for. And not only that, now that they know that the connections exist, the board members have taken the initiative to reach out to second, third, and even fourth degree contacts. I think, you know, it's easy for a board member to reach out to a friend sometimes. Um, but when you're talking about second and third degree to get an introduction to an introduction, 
Um, that's complicated. And these board members are stepping up to do that and are willing and are willing to be able to make those hard conversations to get an introduction to their head of school so they can get funded because they know that that's what actually matters. Concrete advice from Fund Ed Strategies. Great company. So when you look at um, the various nonprofit charter schools and the private schools, what would be your prognosis for their survival post-COVID? Yeah, I think we're all adapting. And I think that this is a time to be innovative, whether that's online learning, whether that's a hybrid blended model, whether that's going back into the school building because of the student demographics that you serve. And I think thinking about that from a fundraising lens means that we need to invest in our case for support and need to invest in how we talk about our work with funders, with donors. And and right now, while everything seems to be going on, uh, if your school is fortunate enough to have a fundraiser or development leader, that person can take time to build relationships and to start really laying the groundwork in the infrastructure and the systems. And so that's what we're seeing a lot of schools do, whether they're charter or private or traditional public or nonprofits, it doesn't matter. Investing in the infrastructure, research, relationships, cases for support. What is, do you have a donor base? Because a lot of people don't and it baffles me, but you know, sometimes we're talking about the basics here and now is the time to do that. So that way, when we are out of COVID, regardless if the new normal is normal or if it's a whole different world, we are ready to hit the ground running and we are continuing to fundraise both now and in the future. I know you have an opinion on diversifying fundraising, given the fact that so much funding comes from uh, government and other places. So let's let me hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I, I think diversity is, is critically important. I think there's a lot of writing right now for individuals about like seven streams of revenue. Well, why don't we think about that from the from the nonprofit side? Why are we not thinking about the income streams? And and for charter schools, ninety to ninety five percent of their money comes directly from the government, just like traditional public schools. But that still leaves a gap, and that still isn't enough to be able to accomplish what they do, what they need to do. And so. They need to look to foundations. They need to think about their boards and alumni organizations. They need to start doing research about institutional funders in their area. Um, and also corporate partners. This is a great time. Although the pandemic has, has decimated certain industries, other industries like distance learning platforms are thriving. And there's opportunities here to uh, create meaningful relationships with corporations. And so I think I can't say enough about diversifying revenue um, and adding to that portfolio to make sure that should the um, an economic crisis continue to happen or happen again in the future, they are set up for success because an 11% or a 10% reduction in funding isn't sustainable year over year. You have to find alternative sources. So what do you say, you know, there's been this ongoing controversy about those government fundings going to uh, charter and in private schools, but more charter schools, and they should be allocated to public schools to make them stronger so that the community can be stronger. Um, what, what's your thinking on that? Yeah, this is, this is a really great question because it's something that I, I get asked a lot, especially from uh, my more progressive friends and you know from the traditional public school space. And, and I am a, um, a progressive, so I fit into that space. And I'm a little weird because I support charter schools. And you're um, a product. You are a product of public schools like I, I am, am a right? product. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm a product of a traditional public school. And I think the reality comes down to two things. 
Um, one is the scarcity mindset. Yes, the government has a certain finite amount of funding, but when we in nonprofits in general uh, take on the scarcity mindset and that there's only enough resources and therefore if I get resources, you don't get resources, that limits our ability to think bigger and, and not a, it doesn't allow us to dream and actually accomplish the problems that we are here to accomplish. Um, the, the second thing uh, that I wanted to bring up is we are fighting about vehicles for change and not the actual change or the outcomes. And that to me is really at the crux of this issue. It shouldn't matter where a student goes. It should be a matter of what are the outcomes for that student and how is their trajectory either changed or improved as a result of that programming. And that's for any nonprofit, not just schools, but it's obviously even more indicative when we talk about charters and private schools and traditional public schools. Are the schools creating change? And I would say that for traditional public schools, I would say that for charter schools and private schools. And if they're not, they shouldn't exist. And if they are, let's prop them up. Let's make sure that they have the resources that they need because there are great traditional public schools, there are great charter schools, and there are great private schools. And they're also bad on all three fronts. Yes, I like what you said about the scarcity versus the abundance mindset that we don't have to compete with one another, but do well in the space we're in. So as we're about to wrap up, John, uh, I love uh, Inside the Actors Studio, still watch it in reruns, and uh, it usually ends with several questions for the guests. So I'm going to take a page out of that book and ask you several questions, maybe three. And the first question is, what gives you hope? You know, I think... The younger population gives me hope. The, and I know that I am a, a young person. I'm a millennial, um, which has its own quirks and, and nuances. But I think the zennials and those that are, are taking to social media platforms and um, rising up and, and um, political participation, um, especially now more than ever, I think that's what gives me hope. That's raising voices is how we create change and creating space for those voices to be heard, regardless of how young or old they are, is so important to me. And I think that is really how we will actually continue to create change and move um, really the world forward. That's great. In fact, I'm a, what should I call myself? A boom-lineal? A boom-lineal? <laughs> uh, it, it'll come together at some point. But the other question that I have for you is, what is your favorite sound? You know, I think my favorite sound, um, and I and I've had to think about this, or just thinking you on the spot, is uh, the sound of a train. Um, and I remember as a kid going to sleep, living by a steel mill, we would hear trains and train cars rolling by all the time, and it's it's soothing, although um, loud sometimes. You you start to tune it out, but if it's not there, you notice, and you can't sleep. Um, and I think that that's such, a, it, it's interesting to me and, and um, unique. I get it because trains, uh, hearing them go by says that something is going somewhere. It's going in a direction and you can use your imagination on where it's going too. So that's great. So the last question is, if you could change one thing in this world, what would it be? You know, I think clearly put racism. Um, I think right now, our country and the world um, for that is is facing two pandemics, systemic racism and, and 
COVID-19. And I think those are not um, independent of each other either. And I think we're seeing that in, in social outcomes and health disparities and, and digital divides and the communities greatest impacted are those of communities of color, or black and brown families. And I think um, if we were, if I were able to wave a magic wand and, and get rid of one issue, it would be racism because I think by doing that, we can actually be on a place of equity and not just equality or fake equality, but actual equity where everybody not only has the same access to opportunities, but actually can achieve at the same levels and have and, and have the same dreams and be able to accomplish them. I really like your thinking, my new friend and founder of Fund Ed Strategies. Great operation and a great direction that you're going in. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Uh, I appreciate it and I hope we'll have more in the future. Will you come back? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Gatsby. Uh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Nonprofit Thursdays. We appreciate you so much. This conversation was rich with information. I learned a lot and I hope that you did too. So please visit us at www.thegasbygroup.com and to get to know a little bit more about what we do, 